Welcome back to the podcast from First Baptist Church of Madison, North Carolina. I'm Dr. Chuck McGathy, and I am back in Madison after being away for two weeks, and uh, it's good to be home. I'd like to share with you this morning, uh, this morning, it's morning when I record this, it may not be morning when you're listening, and that's the beauty of podcast, isn't it? We can tune in on our schedule and we can uh, participate still very fully. What I'm speaking from today is the uh, book of Job, the 38th chapter, verses 1 through 7, and then verses 38 through 41. So if you have your Bible handy and you'd like to follow along with me, go ahead and look at Job 38, 1 through 7, and then we'll read 38 through 41. It's broken up just for a length of time, but you can read the whole book. It won't matter. And uh, this uh, coming Sunday, I'm recording this on a Wednesday morning. This coming Sunday is going to be the 21st Sunday after Pentecost. And uh, we will be celebrating as usual with our various uh, ways of communicating worship these days through our Facebook, which we're... uh, periodically having problems with. If you've ever tried, you might know that. It's uh, it's not a perfect technology. It has uh, limitations, and uh, so we're trying our best to, to find ways to overcome them, but it's simply not uh, something that we can do very easily. So I uh, want you to know that we have that uh, for you, if you like that. Also, we have the radio direct broadcast from the traditional way and the streaming radio that is also available to you. So however you choose to join us, if it's podcast only, that's fine too. And of course on the podcast, the only thing I can really offer is the message, but I hope that will be something to help sustain you in these days as we are now into our uh, second season and our 39th podcast of the second season. This is the 84th, by the way, uh, since the pandemic began. First Baptist Church of Madison, North Carolina. Okay, I'm going to try to pick this up again. I've tried to learn a new technique in the podcast business, which is the ability to stop a recording and then start it again. I know that sounds like pretty basic stuff, but, you know, I'm pretty basic at a lot of things. I want you to... uh, know that we are still dealing with the COVID-19. It seems like every week it's different. I just came back from the hospital where the rules uh, fluctuate. Um, And I don't, they're not being arbitrary. They're doing their very best to make sure that people are safe, but it, it makes it hard for people on the other end to plan and uh, to know how to do what they do in their day-to-day living. And that's just how one way it impacts me, and I'm sure that it impacts you in many ways. The point being that when we go through challenging and distressing times, is to realize the rock upon which we hold fast is Jesus. And if we will look to him, we will find our way through this with joy and determination and patience. 
So let me now turn to our scripture passage for this time of our podcast. This is from Job, the 38th chapter, verses 1 through 7, 38 through 41. I typically read the passage of scripture two times. This is the first time from a more traditional translation. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. And who stretched the line upon it, or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightning that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass of the clods stick fast together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their thicket? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for lack of food? It was very appropriate that I chose for this Sunday's hymns for the beauty of the earth. Even as children, we recognized in those words the way God speaks to our hearts through nature. Last week, I spoke specifically of the Bible as a way, perhaps even the main way, we know about God. It is important to note that Scripture itself tells us of the witness of all nature and those among us who must retreat to nature again and again will affirm the words of the reading from Psalms for today. They are quite profound. These words have meaning, and I hope that you will listen as I share the meaning of Psalm 104, verses 1 through 9, and then verse 24. My soul praise the Lord. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with glory and honor. You wear light like a robe. You spread out the skies like a curtain. You built your home above them. You use the thick clouds like a chariot and ride across the sky on the wings of the wind. You make the winds your messengers and flames of fire your servants. You built the earth on its foundation so it can never be moved. You covered it with water like a blanket. The water covered even the mountains. But you gave the command and the water turned back. You shouted at the water and it rushed away. The water flowed down from the mountains into the valleys to the places you made for it. You set the limits for the seas and the water will never again rise to cover the earth. Lord, you created so many things. With your wisdom, you made them all. The earth is full of the living things you made. 
It is to the testimony of God's creation that God presents his questions to a suffering man named Job. He had been the questioner, the one asking why. But in the end, it is not his questions of God that get him through, but the questions God asks of him that help him cope with his agony. When it comes to God, we are full of questions. We question his wisdom, his guidance, his mercy, and his justice. We even question his very existence. In fact, now more than at any other moment in our lifetimes, God's very existence is being doubted by an ever-increasing number of people. Most of us know those who have questions of God or about God, and sometimes those people are us. Let's face it, our questions about God are literally unending. We are constantly demanding that God provide us the answers, that he justify his existence. But could it be that there is another, a better way to discover the truth? In what is considered the oldest literature of the Bible, the main character struggles through the series of, through a series of devastating personal misfortunes. He does what human beings of all ages have done. Job questions God. And in Job chapter 38, God answers his interrogator. Job 38, 1 through 7, this time from a version called The Voice. Out of the raging storm, the Eternal One answered Job, Who is this that darkens counsel, who covers over sound instructions with empty words void of knowledge? Now, prepare yourself and gather your courage like a warrior. Prepare yourself for the task at hand. I'll be asking the questions now. You will supply the answers. Where were you when I dug and laid the foundation of the earth? Explain it to me if you are acquainted with understanding. Who decided on its measurements? Surely you know that. Who stretched out a line to measure the dimensions? Upon what base was the foundation set? Or who laid the cornerstone on the day when the stars of the morning broke out in song and God's heavenly throng elated shouted along? Can you bellow out orders at the clouds and pull down a flood of rain around you? Can you dispatch bolts of lightning on their way? Who instantly obey and say to you, here we are. Who put wisdom within the center of the created or granted understanding to the mind? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds and send them on their way or tip over water skins of heaven and refresh the ground below? When the dry dust is as hard as metal and the clods of clay clump together, can you hunt prey for the lioness or sate the appetites of her cubs while they crouch in their dens and wait in the brush? Who nourishes the hungry raven when its young chirp to God and wander off for food? This passage 
aims to create a change of perspective. The reader of God's word to humankind is asked to view the issue of human suffering and God's providence from another angle. It is God who asks questions of us. His existence is, according to the scripture, abundantly plain. God exists, whether or not we understand how or why. All attempts to prove or disprove the Almighty are destined to end in failure. The questions then should not really be aimed at God, but at ourselves. It is he who asks the important question of us, and that question is, Will you trust me? It is, it is truly as the psalmist expressed, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Today, some think this kind of attitude is nothing more than religious ignorance or arrogance or both. Sometimes reports come from certain sources in the scientific community that claim that recent discoveries have proven that God is an unnecessary concept. Now, I want you to know that I read every one of these reports that come my way, and what I've seen time and time again is consistent. The scientists who claim they have disproved God have not. What they have done is depart from science, which is defined as, quote, a systematic enterprise that builds and organizes knowledge in the form of testable explanations and predictions about the future, end quote, and move clumsily into philosophy, which is the study of general and fundamental problems such as those connected with reality, existence, morality, and human purpose. Each discipline, science and philosophy, are helpful, but they are different in how they work. Put another way, science tests facts and philosophy proposes ideas. It is therefore very important that we understand that these knowledgeable pursuits are not the same. Science and philosophy are different disciplines, yet sometimes they are conflated and confused. The lines of distinction are blurred. An example of this blurring is the scientist who made news headlines a few years ago by claiming he had disproven God. When I read the article, it told how this researcher had proposed a new theory in which the universe, instead of simply expanding from a Big Bang moment, actually expands and contracts all the time. And since he could not determine an actual beginning moment from his theory, he concluded that there was no single beginning moment and the possibility of God was out of the question. Now that is just plain nonsense. Reasoning like this reminds me of those who try to argue that the strong evidence that the earth is older than 6,000 years somehow invalidates creation. That too is utter foolishness. All such theories as these prove is that narrow interpretations of the Bible by some do not hold water, but they do not invalidate God. You see, God is bigger than both our interpretations and our theories. I think that is why I am drawn to this passage. God reaches down to Job and demands that he get honest. Honesty requires humility, and humility tells us that there is so much more. I am trying my best to operate under this next 
new technology, and I apologize for the for the pause in this right now. But uh, you'll have to you'll I'll pick this up in just a moment. Uh, all right, here we go. When God speaks to Job, he tells him, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. The word for man used here in this passage is interesting. In Hebrew, it is geber. When I hear geber, I think of the Gerber baby. Adorable, cute, innocent, and vulnerable. But geber in the Hebrew means something far removed from that. The word geber suggests something more than an ordinary sort of man. Yahweh is challenging Job to gird up his loins like a manly man, a man of action, a doer, a warrior. He invites Job to prepare for confrontation. Facing the ultimate questions, questions of life and death is hard work. It is a soul-demanding, gut-wrenching battle. It takes all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Following God, you see, is not for the weak and timid. It takes courage to seek God and face personal shortcomings and fears. The misperception held by some that those who believe in God are unquestionably weak-minded is as shallow and bigoted as it can be. Many of us know the dark of night of the soul through which we have struggled and yet come through powerfully convinced of God's reality. But God wants more of us. He wants to ask us questions. He wants us to ponder the ultimate questions, the questions we cannot answer apart from faith. He calls us to struggle. He calls us to faith. Thus, he peppers Job with a series of questions, the answers to which are clearly outside of the scope of human learning. And God knows that to these questions, infinite beings are at a loss. We can, to a certain degree, tell how things work, but we cannot answer why they exist or from where they came. I am in the process of rereading the story of Corey Ten Boom. If you know her story, then you know that she was an expert in time peace repair. With that inspiration, let me try to illustrate what I mean by telling a story some of you have heard before about a trip I took to Germany. Some years ago, I came upon an interesting shop in a small German village. As I entered this shop, I discovered hundreds of cuckoo clocks hung upon the walls. Every one of the clocks was unique, but they are all complex instruments. Some of the less expensive ones, like the one I bought, had a pendulum, three chained weights, and a small bird that popped out every hour to cuckoo the appropriate number of times to correspond with the hour. And there were other clocks, fancier clocks, that had two or three doors from which dancers and musicians appeared as they twirled and played. Now, it so happened I was there in that shop when the hour changed, and I was delighted at the sounds and sights as the clocks performed according to their designs. The counter, though, was empty. It appeared that there was no one else in the store. Then, before too much time passed, the clockmaker emerged from his shop in the back and took me on a tour of his marvelous establishment. Notice, please, 
how my experience says something about our experience with God. As I entered the store and saw the time-telling machines on the wall, I did not take one down from the wall, pull out a screwdriver, remove the back and examine the gears, bellows, springs, and pulleys to try and understand how cuckoo clocks work. But had I done so, I'm sure with sufficient time and effort, I could grasp the principles of how cuckoo clocks function. I'm not sure I could actually build one, but I could explain how they manage to keep time and make bird sounds. But would I be so brash, so conceited, given my knowledge of clock design, to then assume and declare, there is no clockmaker? Even if some of the clocks had run down and no longer kept perfect time, I do not think I would be very wise to discount the existence of a clockmaker. Surely something of such intricate design and wonderful function testifies to a designer and a purpose. Would it take more faith for one to believe that there is a clockmaker, or would it take more faith to deny a designer and purpose? Either way, it is a philosophical choice, a matter of faith. The existence of God is an open question, a matter of faith, but either way, one answers requires faith. For me, the evidence for a clockmaker compelled that I assume his existence even before I saw him. Even when I could not prove it, I knew he had to be just around the corner. This is where the questions God asks us begin, and it is right here that we are able to transcend our limitations and catch a vision of what God offers for those who will dare have faith in Him. It is an invitation to trust and believe, and from that belief experience, have life and hope. That is the deal God offers each one of us, and it is begins with listening to God's questions. For Job, God asks simple yet profound questions. Let's think about that for a moment. Listen again to God's inquiries. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it, or what were its bases sunk? And who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds, that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightning? Perspective. Viewing our pain from a new perspective can help us in our suffering, too. Job had suffered. His suffering was intense and it was painful. But just as hard as that was, the central question throughout the book of Job is even harder. Why? Why do we suffer? Why do bad things happen without rhyme or reason? And Job goes through the entire book never knowing why. All of his questions of God are met with silence. 
At last, God speaks his voice coming from a whirlwind, but he is not coming to his servant Job to answer his questions, but to demand that Job answer his. In an impasse with the divine, it is Job who moves. He finds that he cannot know why, but he can know faith. It starts with recognizing God as God. The final movement of the passage brings an amazing word of hope, and it too comes in the form of a divine question. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Do you catch what God is saying to us? He's asking, who put the searching spirit in humankind in the first place? Why do we seek God? Could it be that the very desire to find God is the greatest evidence that he is to be found? The matter then becomes not if there is a God, but how do I find him? How do I, in the midst of the struggle and confusion and sheer pain of my existence, how do I find God? I will admit it is pretty hard. In fact, I don't think we can But hold on, it's okay. You see, God has found us. Speaking of Jesus, the Gospel of John says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God asks each of us a question. Will you receive me? Will you trust me? Even if you cannot prove God in the lab, even if there are those who reject his existence, even if there are times of struggle met only with silence, the question of God is, but will you trust me? For Job, the answer was, yes, the matter is no different for you and me. And so I ask you what God asks every human soul, will you trust him. Let us pray. God, we reach out to you, the one who created us to seek you and believe that you hear us and love us and came for us. When we were lost, you found us. And so we receive you, son of God, our savior, Jesus. In your name, we pray and believe this. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to tune in to our website at www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.weebly.com. My prayers are with you as you go through your week.